1: Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives and co-author of the book, Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. We're going to be talking about uh, investments today and also looking for your personal finance questions. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email the show if you can't get to a phone. It's money at mpbonline.org. So, in 2003, the Senate designed, uh, designated that is, April as Financial Literacy for Youth Month. And then in March 2004, the Senate passed Resolution 316 that officially recognized April as National Financial Literacy Month. So, that's why uh, today we are going to be talking about uh, different types of investment vehicles. Uh, But we also look for your personal finance questions as we do each Tuesday morning. Repeat the phone number. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 Phone lines are now open, ready for your questions. Good morning, Ryder. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, what about financial news in the news?
2: Uh, well, it's uh, yesterday was the start of the second quarter, and it started off with a... Um, A a bang to the downside Uh, The stock market was down Quite a bit and just looking back At last quarter Uh, It was basically flat for a lot of things. Um, I mean, whether you have large U.S. stocks or high-quality bonds, you probably were kind of flat to maybe a little bit of a loss. A couple areas showed some strength, um, particularly emerging and frontier markets showed some strength, which is a little odd, because those are usually the the worst-performing things when things aren't going well, Um, and also high-yield bonds. But um, there could be a number of reasons, particularly uh, if you try to fit that into the tariff war narrative going on, um, there's a few ways that might make sense.
1: Yeah, I think we've been talking about that the last couple of shows, uh, and I guess now China has responded uh, to American tariffs by having some tariffs of their own.
2: Yeah, there was something, I think, um, tariffs on strawberries, and I was just thinking about that this morning because it's strawberry season and we love our Louisiana strawberries. um, And... I was just thinking, okay, so what, what does that look like to a strawberry farmer? Okay, now it's going to be a lot harder for them to sell strawberries to China. And even if they personally are not selling strawberries to China, the larger strawberry farms or whatever, whoever's selling the strawberries to China, they're going to have a harder time. So they're in, they've already grown the strawberries. They're going to turn around and sell them in the U.S. And that's going to, make it, it's going to make it cheaper for us to buy strawberries because there's going to be so many people just trying to get rid of them. But that's going to be terrible for the strawberry farmers. So that's kind of the knock on effect. You know, what happens when, you know, the trade war, people start retaliating and saying, "Okay, we're going to we're going to stop bringing in this, that or the other.
1: Yeah, I think uh, yesterday afternoon, I think it might have been on it was either All Things Considered or Marketplace. They had an interview with a pistachio uh, Mm. farmer, I guess, if that's the right term. Uh, And he was pointing out how, you know, the U.S. is not the only source of pistachios in the world. So, uh, you know, they can get them elsewhere. And and he talked about the idea of uh, either trying to have to sell the pistachios somewhere else or possibly mm-hmm. having to bring them back and the costs involved there. Uh, so it, uh, exactly. it is something that uh, we, we can keep our eyes on uh, and see what, uh, how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking about different types of investments today, and the list we came from. Our producer Liz Gill got it uh, from Finra, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? Uh, FINRA, Finra is actually my regulator. They
2: they regulate uh, investment advisors, uh, broker dealers, things like that. Their their goal is to um, protect investors uh, from. Uh, I guess, misbehavior uh, on the broker side, on the investment advisor. So if you're working with somebody who has an investment account for you, um, then they are probably regulated by FINRA. That is the, it's called a self-regulatory body. Um, It is not the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is part of the government, and that regulates actual listing of securities. Um, There's some overlap here, but FINRA is... Uh, funded by the financial industry and is a separate separate entity from the government. Um, they're a really good source of information for individual investors. They are also where the the ones who keep uh, discipline records. So if you go to FINRA.org and search for my name, you can find um, a little bit of biographical information about me, where I work, uh, what I am licensed to do, what I can legally you know do and 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 get paid for, and also. So if I have any uh, discipline notes on my record, which I, I don't, I, I don't think I do. So <laughs> they would they would let me know if I did. That's the old thing. If that's going to go on your permanent record, there, exactly. Ryder. Yes, <laughs> that is that is your permanent record. If you work in the finance industry, that
1: is your permanent record. Um, so that's where it is. Okay. Uh, we have an early email here uh, from John who says nine years ago a family member passed away, leaving me a house and a condominium timeshare. I did not want the timeshare. And said so by phone and on the documents the lawyer sent. After the will was probated, I was notified by the state that I now owned a house and a timeshare. I've been paying the maintenance fees on this thing ever since. Is there no way I could rid myself of this timeshare? wow um timeshares
2: are uh, can sometimes be very hard to get rid of um i'm a little puzzled though because he did say that on the documents he signed he was he was disclaiming the timeshare um Typically, when you inherit something, you do have the opportunity to say, no, I don't want to inherit that. And I mean, there can be various reasons for doing that. Maybe you're just trying to settle it up with your siblings in a different way. But in the case of a timeshare where you, that's almost more of a liability and that you do have to keep paying those membership and ongoing maintenance fees. Um, that's tough I would I would look at those documents again and talk with that uh, original lawyer uh, that seems that's a very long time ago um, and just to see if that can help you get out of it uh, and present all of that this is going to be a matter of keeping very careful records present all of that to the timeshare company and say look th- this is not actually mine I disclaimed this long ago um, some will maybe will tell you what the process for getting rid of a timeshare is but uh, what I have done for folks in the past is just help them write a very stern letter saying I have done my best i have done everything that i should do to get rid of this and I no longer want it please you know remove my account whatever Um, so that that's probably his best option, but document everything and
1: keep those original records where he he disclaimed it in the will. Uh, and this might be uh, a time to possibly pay for an hour or two or some uh, lawyer, because, again, mm-hmm. you're going to want somebody kind of in there on your behalf. And I know uh, my parents had a timeshare at one time, uh, which they used for several years, but then they didn't. And I, my mother's offered it to every child. Yeah. And uh, none, I mean, she offered it to me, it's like I, I, it's an upstate New York, A and B, I'm not sure i could uh, handle the uh, finances but you're right there are there are a lot of fees and things that go along it's great if you use them but then if you stop you're kind of absolutely underwater with
2: it yeah and that's a case where you know maybe a a phone call from someone who doesn't exactly know what they're asking for maybe that's not going to get through to a big corporation but oftentimes a, uh, a a certified mail letter from a law office will get get right through to them they get the point
1: yeah, and I'll say uh, as I was uh, dealing with uh, my car accident uh, last the end of last year, uh, a friend of mine is a lawyer here that works here, and it's it was amazing when he just the verbiage. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of their game. So uh, as you say, uh, something from an attorney might carry a little bit more uh, weight with uh, companies and and, uh, the people involved in that than just you uh, contacting them individually. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, different types of investments uh, for Financial Literacy Month this month. We're going to start with one, uh, bank products. I guess at one time, uh, banks, uh, savings, uh, banks, credit unions, that sort of thing were pretty much just stores of your money. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now they've sort of gotten, into offering some types of investments
2: Yes, yeah, so in, in bank products, that's that's going to be Where everyone starts, what you're probably most Familiar with, you open a savings account Maybe when you were a kid, maybe when you went to college You got a checking account, something like that um, Banks they are, they are Safe, they are uh, Federally insured, if anything happens To you, uh, to the bank uh, You put money in there and you earn a little bit Of interest, uh, what the bank Does, how the bank, you know provides that service is they turn around and loan that money out. Um, So you're going to start... You probably have a checking account. You have a savings account. A savings account have actually... Legally uh, specific restrictions on them—you can't take money in or out like more than six times a month or something. That's why a lot of people have started seeing um, and started using money market accounts. Uh, It's essentially—it looks to you—it looks like the same thing. Um, Sometimes it earns a higher interest rate. Sometimes, as interest rates are rising, which they are right now, uh, you would get a higher interest rate a little faster. Uh, But those—those are the basic products. You know, you don't really put your money in the bank to to make more money. You just put it in there to keep it safe because you need some money to save. Uh, to save up, and also because you have to spend money, and they're just a, a good intermediary for that. They provide you with checks, uh, debit cards, credit cards, things like that.
1: And then also, uh, it, it's when you need, we've talked about the idea of an emergency fund, and obviously you want to mm-hmm. put that in something where you can get it quickly uh, if you need it, and, and banks and savings accounts, uh, that sort of thing would be Absolutely. the ideal location. Yep. Okay, we have got a caller on the line, which we will get to after this quick break. Ooh. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're talking about different investments. Investment options this morning. Also looking for your personal finance questions. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back with more after this. Money talks on MPP Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives, and co-author of Piggy Planet. Prudent investors get going young. Uh, we are talking today about different sorts of investment vehicles. We started the show with an email. Someone uh, had called in with a situation about a timeshare. Mm. We have a caller on the line. It's our buddy Frank and Jackson that might have some information for us. Frank, what do you have?
3: Yes, yeah, so on getting rid of your timeshare.
1: What and are the secrets
3: we need to know? Appreciate this my wife and i have had the timeshare for 10 years we paid it off mm-hmm. and we contacted several companies that said they would buy the timeshare from us
4: mm-hmm.
3: well of course they wanted two or three thousand dollars to do that <laughs> so we just let it ride we finally found out that um the florida legislature eliminated all of the constraints on the timeshares in florida so the timeshare people Went crazy and raised fees uh,
4: two or three
3: times. Mm-hmm. So then market forces got into place, and my wife and I discovered it was cheaper to pay that two or three thousand dollars than to pay the two hundred dollars a month uh, that they were going to charge us with the new rates. And they kept saying that there's a, the rates might increase at any time. Mm-hmm. So it looks like they got too greedy in Florida. And several large law firms have initiated class action suits against the timeshares, particularly the Orange Lake, which is the Disney uh, mecca, mm-hmm. uh, saying that with the, these new rates, they have basically violated federal law. Hmm. So and they are threatening to sue these guys in federal court in criminal <clears throat> criminal mm. charges and also civil charges and they estimated the exposure to orange lake is about four billion dollars mm. so uh... it's a case of folks getting too greedy and then the uh... supply and demand issues coming into play and it made economic sense for these law firms to go after this particular timeshare so yeah. um, look out for the guys who are advertising who don't have a strategy of a class action suit that they're just going to do it for you as an individual like you said uh, mr taft is not much is going to get done but when you get a three billion dollar liability you know put in your face mm-hmm. uh, they might be willing to let people go now mm-hmm. the other side to this is that the orange lake people have identified a new market uh, the united states has a a law that if a foreigner invests a certain amount of money they can get a a um, a legal status, not citizenship, mm-hmm. but a green card or something.
2: It's like an Im- uh, an investor visa or something,
3: right? So hmm. these foreigners are buying these timeshares, you know, cash on the barrelhead,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and
3: getting these um, this uh, access to to the United States. So Orange Lake is looks like they're going to try to let people go. So they can go ahead and cash in on these uh, investors, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they still want to charge those guys fees, monthly fees as well. Right? if so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They own it outright. Absolutely. So it's interesting how the market works. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see how anybody can stay on top of it. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just like a moving target.
2: Yeah. It's good to hear you again, Frank. Um, and that's a really good point about f- he made about Florida in particular. That's kind of like America's you know vacation. Spot what with um, Disney and it's all beach, um, and and so and so since it's kind of a huge vacation spot, that's where the timeshare industry is really big. And any place where you have a, an industry that big in in one state, obviously they're going to get a kind of get a hold of their legislator. They're going to have a lot of influence there. So like you said in Florida in particular, they uh, they really got the legislator to be super friendly to them and allowed them to raise fees and kind of push those sort of uh, cost increases through uh, without, um, you know, with, with no restriction. So that's a really good point. Whenever you see an industry concentration like that, um, it, it, they're going to have a little outsized power, and, and it looks like they're not doing well with it in Florida.
1: All right, Frank, thanks for the call. Good information there. And, you know, one of the other things he said, and I, again, I referenced my personal this with my, my mother, and I think she's going to do this, is eventually – you might have to sell it at a loss if someone's willing to buy it, because again, those monthly fees are yeah. going to add up and add up and, and won't stop. And if you can unload it uh, at one time, uh, even at a loss, maybe that's kind of the, the bottom line, uh, last ditch uh, uh, solution. Mm-hmm. That thing I'll say too, is I believe some of them I've heard that you can like maybe pick different places, like one one year you go to Disney World, one mm-hmm. year you go to somewhere else. And so I guess if you're if you're going to get into the timeshare thing. You want to really do your research and, and, and find out what you're obligating yourself to mm-hmm. before you sign the contract. Yeah.
2: And and all this being said, you know, timeshares are not always the worst thing. They You just have to be very careful about what you get into. I mean, I had uh, I had some cousins who had timeshares, and it always worked out pretty well for them because they weren't trying to go to the popular ones. Um, so they were always able to, to get access to, to, you know, the rooms they wanted and things like that. And it worked out well because they use it a lot. But um, like Frank said, you, you have to really be watch out for, for what their power is in this situation.
1: This is Money Talks. We're talking about various investment vehicles this morning. We're also looking for your questions. Call us at 1877 MPB ring. It's 1877 672 7464. You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. So we talked about bank products, of so banks and credit unions offering checking checking accounts and savings accounts. Uh, the next one on our list is bonds and and when I hear bonds I think of stability. Is that right? Uh,
2: That's generally the idea. So um, actually, our next two are bonds and stocks. And I like to talk about those together because these are, let's just think about large U.S. companies. Um, Large U.S. companies need money to do things. Um, They need money to operate. They need money to build new factories, to expand into new markets and things like that. And so, uh, obviously, operating money, you know, they should really be generating that from, you know, their their operations. You know, they should be able to buy new inventory uh, by selling their old inventory. Target buys new clothes to put on the racks because they sold all the old clothes and they made money off of that. And so that's fine. But if Target wanted to build a bunch of new stores at once, they don't necessarily have all that cash on hand. So they need to raise money somehow. And so the two big ways they can raise money is they can go and they can, they can borrow money. They can say, "Hey, you know, we need a million dollars. We'll pay it back in a couple of years with some interest," um, and if they go to. The capital markets, if they go to investors and and say that, that's a bond and they structure it in a way that's like, okay, everyone, you know, you bought a bond, a thousand dollar bond or you bought a ten thousand dollar bond. We will pay you a set interest rate uh, every six months or every year. And at the end of the term, you know, say five years, 10 years, we will pay you all your money back. And so that's kind of an agreed upon contract. And the other way they do it is they take on new owners. They say, "Hey, do you want to be an owner of this company? You can give us money and become an owner." Um, so you know, it dilutes the other owners. But and that is selling stock in the company. So those two things: one is ownership of the company, uh, and one is a loan to the company—stocks and bonds. And you know, when you think of bonds as stability, is because yeah, they have they have a price which everyone knows their price is you know it's you know usually a $100 or it's a $1000 and while that price that people are willing to pay for it in the meantime can fluctuate if it's a good quality company, you expect that par value, that that price that it says it's worth, um, you expect that back at the end of the day. Uh, with a stock, that fluctuates with the fortunes of the company. And, and more importantly, it fluctuates with the expectations of the company. Um, one interesting example I've seen in the news lately is the company Tesla. They make electric cars, and they need... Tons of money. This is a new product. Making it at the volume that they're doing it, this is a new thing. And they need tons of money to set up these factories. They need tons of money to buy, you know, gigawatts of batteries or to make gigawatts of batteries. And so they issue, uh, over the past few years, they issued a lot of stock um, because. That doesn't really affect. They don't have. They don't have to pay interest on stock. They don't have to pay anyone for stock. You never have to be paid back if the company doesn't work out. You just don't get your money back. And if the company does really well, hopefully your stock is just worth more and you can sell it to someone else. Um, but recently they've also issued some bonds. About um, seven or eight months ago they issued some bonds. Um, well. People are really excited about this company they're really they have a high hopes for this company, so it's the company is worth a lot but they are having trouble making a lot of money. They're having trouble making enough money to pay those bonds back. Uh, people are worried that they're not going to be able to pay those bonds back. So the bonds are losing a lot of value right now because people are just worried they won't be able to get paid back. But the company is still worth a lot because people think, you know, this is the way of the future. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be a tough couple of years, but people are really excited over the long term. So, so the stock is still... Um, it's taken some hits, but it's still quite high.
1: Uh, a couple of follow-ups on stocks and stock ownership, but we do have some callers oh. to get to. So let's uh, go back to the phones. Off we go to Oxford. Esther's on the line. Good morning, Esther. Go ahead, please.
4: Uh, good morning. I had a question about Vanguard funds. Sure. Okay. Uh, Vanguard's got admiral shares and they've got investor shares. Mm-hmm. And my question is, is the lower expense ratio of the admiral shares worth it compared to the investor shares over time?
2: Um generally yes so uh, vanguard's pretty good about only having a couple of share classes but the reason they do this is because uh historically there have been different ways to access them so if you are able to access the lower cost shares uh without paying any extra trading fees then absolutely go for it i mean you always go for the cheaper one um and it will you know if it's if it's you know point one percent cheaper every year, it will do better by about point one percent every year um, mm-hmm. If you have to pay a trading fee because maybe you're doing it through a brokerage that charges a fee for one share class but not a fee for the other mm-hmm. uh, you've got to look at how much you're buying if you're only you know say you're buying. $1,000, and that trading fee is is $10. That's a 1% trading fee. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could just avoid that trading fee altogether, that's probably better than saving 0.1% annually, unless you're going to hold it for over 10 years. Um, so, kind of look at it that way. You know, How big is the trading fee in comparison to how much are you buying?
4: Okay. The, uh, the amount
2: of shares you're buying.
1: Okay. Yeah, the yeah the, the dollar value of all the shares you're buying, yeah.
4: Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thank uh, you.
1: Thanks for the call, Esther. Got another caller in Oxford. It's Jack's on the line. Go ahead, Jack. You're on the air.
5: Hi. Uh, this kind of goes off of uh, Esther's question. Um, I'm a young college student, um, obviously here at Oxford, but... Um, you know, I get advertised for a lot of these investment apps. I mean, mm-hmm. you see things like Acorns or uh, Robinhood, things like that. And the they advertise no fee trading or whatever. And you, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a set amount of money to get into the market. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like with Vanguard or Fidelity, you know, all, there's always a minimum buy-in. If it's a 1000 or $2,500 or something like that. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I know we've all seen the infographic of, like, if you get started investing five years before someone else, how that compounds and just makes a difference of, you know, $1.5 after, you know, you turn 65 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is it worth getting into these apps, these investment apps that don't have a minimum fund, or should I save up enough for those minimum investments for the larger companies such as Fidelity or Vanguard?
2: Ooh. Yeah. Um, Starting early absolutely makes a difference because the the amount of time you are invested and earning a return uh, is you you know the more time the more your return will be. Right. Um, The issue is you know if you're only saving like a hundred bucks a year for the first five years, that is not going to make a big difference. So you know if it's a matter of starting but only starting with like. Pennies. I don't know if that's going to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. The big difference is going to be setting yourself up um, to just make regular contributions. So getting in the habit of regularly putting money into investments, so that when you know you do that now, and then when you get a job with you know that pays a lot more, you'll be right. you'll be used to it, and you'll be very comfortable putting money into your four hundred one k and saving money out of your budget. So that's why it's really important. With those, so okay, so we've got basically with on the app side, you kind of have two kinds. You have Robinhood, which is free trading. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that unless you are really know what you're doing and are putting right. the time into paying attention to your stocks and doing the yeah. research. If if that's your style I mean I I certainly didn't have Enough time to do that As a student And I wasn't even A great student um, <laughs> I had tons of free time But it, That's That's a little harder to do I, You know I do that professionally And it's And it's And it's very difficult to do mm-hmm. um, The other ones I don't I'm not a huge fan of uh, You mentioned one Acorns, acorns Just because yeah. For a very small they, they do allow You know You just start with like Five bucks But um, um, they also have kind of high uh, fees. Uh, when I, I kind of tried out a lot of these just to see what they were like. Acorn had fairly steep fees. Um, Betterment is the one I do if people are look, going to go with a robo-advisor sort of thing. I do recommend that. They just stick okay. you, they, they, they come up with the allocation for you and stick you in it. Uh, you don't really have any say in what your investments are, uh, but they're, they're very good with kind of features and explaining how your investment works. So that's a really good way to get started um, and really get to understand what your investments are going to do for you. Um, right. The difference between those and your Fidelity, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade... Those are going to be full featured. You're going to be able to do any. You're going to be able to buy any individual stock. You're going to be able to set up programs where you just put money in on a regular basis and all automatically invests for you. Mm-hmm. Those have a lot more features um, and obviously a lot more, you know, customer service help. Uh, and and right. so, that's not you know. Again, if you don't want to get involved with it, you just want to do it just to set aside money for the long term. A robo advisor is not bad. I mean, they they like I always say they offer pretty good investment management um, mm-hmm. their financial planning isn't the best and it's not personalized um, but their investment management is, is not bad um, so so I would I would recommend something like that if you're just getting started want to get yourself in the
1: habits and want to get comfortable with it.
5: Okay. Great. Right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
2: Absolutely, Jack.
1: Thanks for the call. Uh, let's take another break. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio, talking about various investment vehicles this morning, also looking for your personal finance questions. The phone number is one mpb ring Reach us at 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit MPBOnline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspective. We are talking about various investment vehicles today on the show, also looking for your personal finance questions. You can send an email, money at mpbonline.org, or give us a call. We've got some open phone lines. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 672 Seven four six four. We mentioned at the top of the show that April is National Financial Literacy Month. Ryder, I wonder if you could tell us your personal story. When, when and where did you begin to become more financially literate? Um, well, I always like to start with
2: my story when I was like eight years old and my dad um, – no, let me back up a little bit. Eight years old, we didn't we didn't have a lot of soft drinks in the house. And uh, our, my my grandmother always had uh, Coca-Cola in the glass bottles. And so I thought that was the coolest thing. And then one day my dad told me that my sister owned uh, shares of Coca-Cola. I was eight years old. I was like, cool, dad, whatever, ran out to play. <laughs> but then one day it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, she owns Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. not now she shouldn 't have a, a six pack of Coca cola in her in her refrigerator. She owns the company. I just thought that was the most fascinating thing that you could own companies. so I kind of started paying attention to to uh, stocks uh, ever since kind of paid attention to the markets and have been interested in kind of the, the pipes and the plumbing of all that and how it works. And then, uh, you know, my parents always raised me to, um, you know, be prudent with your money, uh, Say, always kind of always ha- had a savings account from an early age, you know, worked, you know, do cho- extra chores around the house to get $5 here and there. Always liked watching that account grow. Um, that's back when we had interest rates, so I could even see interest accumulating. Now, I mean, with a larger <laughs> account than I had when I was eight, I don't see any interest <laughs> accumulate. Um, so that's, so I've always kind of had, you know, been learning about the habits growing up and been very interested in all the mechanics of it as, as, I, um, as I learned more and so that put that together and that's how I ended up
1: in being a personal uh,
2: financial and investment
1: advisor. And you know we've mentioned this on the program a number of times it's it's never too early to start getting your kids financially yeah. literate. No that's
2: right there's um,
1: I always like to kind of
2: look at you know what is appropriate uh, appropriate financial education for for children and you know at every age there's some you know if they're learning anything they can learn about money and also since it touches so many other aspects of our lives you can use lessons about money to also teach lessons about other things you know early math lessons like talk you know show them dimes and quarters and dollars and add them all together and say okay well, what if you had three of those um you know there's something appropriate for every age and um and, and it and it integrates well with almost any other subject Except, so, except physics. <laughs> I haven't figured that one
1: out. Uh, we were talking about various types of investments and, and landed on stocks and bonds, and you said those kind of uh, go together. Mm-hmm. We mentioned, uh, as you mentioned, stock is ownership in a company. Yep. Uh, and sometimes you can resell if you to get the, the monetary value out of that. But I guess there are some other benefits to being an owner of stock. <clears throat> you can get, I guess, a dividend. Tell us what that is. Yes.
2: Uh, so that's a, the two ways you can make money on stocks are, you can buy the stock and the company does better or its prospects uh, improve and people are willing to pay more for that company uh, and you could you know just kind of wrap your mind around that just think of any uh, any company you know if uh, somebody starting a new restaurant and um, at first, you know you're not sure about it. You know it's it's probably cheap to buy part of that restaurant. But if they start doing well and opening up new locations and making tons of money, it's going to be more expensive to get a part of that. Uh, so that's that's how kind of the value of the stock increases. The other way is through a dividend, and that's when a company makes. A ton of money, and they just have extra money, and they're like, hey, let's – well, let's give it to the owners. The owners, they bought that company to make money. I mean, we don't, we don't buy companies just for the giggles. Well, sometimes we do, but um, – the dividend is is when the company distributes some of their cash to the owners, and they typically do it on a regular basis. Once you start a dividend, it's typically hard to kind of stop because, you know, you, you were paying me last last year. Why aren't you paying me this year? Um, it's uh, So that's usually taken as a sign of financial health and stability as well when a company is big enough and stable enough that they say, you know what, we can pay this dividend for years to come. And also,
1: I remember once you shared with us that, you know, again, because you're an owner of of the company, uh, when they have an annual meeting, you can sometimes mm-hmm. maybe add your voice to the board of directors, which sort of guides how that yes. company is going to go.
2: Yes. And actually, uh, so, so speaking of benefits of owning a company, uh, one that comes to mind is Berkshire Hathaway has an annual meeting that has become just because Warren Buffett is he's such a legendary investor and some people have owned the stock for decades. You know, obviously they've become very rich holding those shares. His annual Meeting has become just a a multi day like mecca for investors. People come to hear him speak, people come, you know, if again, like you said, if you own a share. You get invited to that meeting, and um, I've been to some small ones where, you know, it'll be a it'll be a business meeting, and then afterwards they'll have some some refreshments, um, and that's kind of cool that they do that. Um, uh, Sanderson Farms they have theirs down in Laurel, and if you're an owner of that, you can go down to their meeting, and I'm pretty sure they'll have fried chicken afterwards. <laughs> uh, so. So yeah, things like that. There's there's kind of little benefits like that, it, it, and it allows you to at least feel like you're participating in the running of the company.
1: Okay, back to the phone lines we go. Off to Tupelo this time. Mark's called in. Good morning, Mark. Go ahead, please.
6: Good morning. I have two questions. My first question is concerning investments for a very young child, my mm. granddaughter. Um, should I put the investments in her name, or later when she turns eighteen or nineteen to go to college? Would they consider that money, would it affect the scholarships or the grants and those type yes. things that she may be able to get if all if if the investment is in her name? Mm-hmm. And my second question is, how do you uh, how you evaluate a business? My son is interested in buying a uh, cheerleading gym in which he works there, and obviously the, the the substantial amount of the assets are in the are in the service of the mm-hmm. young ladies that come there, mm-hmm. and not, you know the the equipment stuff is relatively little, but just for the sake of Helping me if if they took in a hundred thousand a year gross, how do you know what the value of that gem is? Those two questions.
2: Um, okay, let me just kind of tackle the gym one while it's on my mind. Okay. So if he's looking at buying into this gym, he's definitely going to want to see if he doesn't already have good visibility into their financials. He's going to want to see. What their financials are, and he's going to want to see from their, uh, you know, their tax returns. He's going to want to see income statement, balance sheet, and whoever the CPA, whoever the accountant for that gym, will be able to show him that. And you know, so long as he understands those numbers, where that money is coming from, um, a a gym where most of the value is in, it's kind of uh, much of the value of a gym. Like you said, it's not in the equipment they have. I mean, you know, they rent a space right. or they own a big warehouse. You know, it's, it's, these are it's, cheap it's, buildings. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's it's Goodwill. It's it's. I used to cut hair, and so you know,
6: if you buy somebody else's barbershop. I mean, what have you bought? You know, right? So that's, it's that's a, the same question. He's
2: he's he's buying he's buying their brand, and so there's a couple things to look at. You know, is is um is membership in this gym growing? Is it in an area that's growing? It, it, do they mm-hmm. do they provide a service that more More people are getting, you know, if gymnastics is going to go away in five years, you bought a terrible thing. Uh, If it's in an area where nobody's going to live in five years, you bought a terrible thing. If the opposite is true, fantastic. So he's going to want to look at a lot of those and just his own ability to, as an owner of the gym, grow and expand recruitment of the gym. Uh, So he's going to want to think about that. As far as valuing it. Um, that's tricky uh, because I know it, who he it, is. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 <laughs> that's the real You're trick. The expert, um so for a again for a small privately held company like that he might mm-hmm. want to, you know, talk with again talk with an accountant, talk with an outside accounting firm to say, you know, what are other firms doing? What are other gyms doing? Uh what are okay. they valued at if they're having transactions like that? Just to get an idea of is this a Good deal compared with what else is going on in the gym world, okay. and then he's going to want to look at you know what's kind of his payback time you know is it going to be a thing where you know say he puts in a hundred thousand dollars and as an owner that only gets him an extra thousand dollars a year that's terrible that's a one percent return right. um but if it's a thing where y- you know he's got he puts in a hundred thousand dollars and he's making ten thousand dollars that's a little bit better um for again a little for a private a small private company, there is way more uncertainty in that yep. sort of thing because you know what? A gym pops up across the street and that $10,000 goes to zero real quick. That's right. That's so, right. with a private, small private company, you want to see a bigger return than that. Um, but th- it's, it's that kind of what am I putting in and what okay. as an owner cash-wise am I getting I out of it?
6: So there's not like a multiplier or anything like that because the var- is so variable.
2: It's, it's, it's very, very variable. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, and it depends as well with what he's comfortable with because, you know, he might think, wow, as an owner of this gym, I could really take it to the next level. He yes. might be willing to pay more for that because he's like, Got oh, it. well, the math looks like I'm going to make $10,000, but I know I'm going to put in the work and turn that into yes. $50,000. Um, okay. I
6: think you yeah. me a little bit. So,
2: that's that's a lot of different ways to think about it. Uh, just know that he's going to want to see real and accurate financial statements. Yes. And um, and he's and he's going to really want to think about w- what his role is going to be in the future of this company.
6: Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's not for my granddaughter. Uh, so, um, all right. Now to it, the granddaughter. Or because with that affects her college, grants, etc. When she turns seventeen or eighteen, if she had 4000 yeah. dollars or forty thousand or whatever it turned out to be, because she's still mm-hmm. really young right now.
2: Yeah. So this is tricky. Um, do, one, one. The first decision I would say you need to make is: Do you want to just actually give her stocks it, that are in her name in an UGMA account, or do you want to give her money into a five two nine plan, a college savings plan? Yes. Um, In a college savings plan, it's best to either have it in her name or her parents' name. Okay. But I wouldn't worry too much about that because you can always change the ownership down the line. Um, Okay. The issue, if if it's in her or her parents' name, it counts... Some of It counts very minimally I'm not sure I want to say it's around 4.6 or 5% For uh, stu- uh, financial aid purposes okay. uh, Whereas if it's in your name And you just give her the money That counts as income for her And that counts 50% against her For financial aid purposes okay. So that's a huge difference um, So Yes
6: But uh, if I made the investment Just in my name Right not doing it out, uh, I mean I could I could just hand her $1000.
2: Well, y- okay, I will say the responsibility to report this stuff falls on the individual. Got it. Hiding that sort of but information I is not
4: allowed.
6: Absolutely. If I just put money totally in my name and and I want to give her mm-hmm. a gift of whatever the minimum is, it wouldn't affect or buy
2: her a car or something. You yeah, know? you can always. I mean, you can't. And I uh, pay taxes on it myself. Right. You you can gift. You're allowed to gift uh, fourteen thousand dollars a year. I think that's going up to fifteen thousand next year. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I was But okay. that is still uh, for financial aid purposes. I, okay. I think that is still going to be considered um, as income for her. And again, it counts. That counts as the biggest against her. Uh, so okay. the best way to give money is through a five two nine plan. Of course, if you. Think think she's going to be fine when she gets there, uh, and if you really want to give her money outside of that, uh, it might make most sense to wait until she's finishing up college and
1: put something in her name. I see. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Thanks I for the call, Mark. Very helpful. Thank All you right. very much. Uh-huh. One final break uh, on Money Talks. When we get back, we'll wrap up our show. We've been talking about various investment vehicles. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
0: To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Roger Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Throughout this hour, we've been talking about various investment vehicles and also taking some personal finance questions. We'll wrap things up with uh, maybe a couple more. Uh, We've talked about bank products, uh, checking accounts, savings accounts, uh, bonds, and stocks. And now we'll move on to investment funds. Uh, These are mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, closed-end funds. Ryder, what's the benefit of of these investment funds?
2: Diversification. Uh, And you get to hand off all the work to somebody else. Um, So, like we said, stocks and bonds. Those are what you're really investing in. Stocks provide great long-term growth. Uh, they have near-term volatility. Bonds are offering uh, stability and higher interest than you might get in a savings account. An investment fund is you're hiring, you know, you're you're paying somebody else to do the management for you. They're going out and buy. It's a, a mutual fund is a basket of stocks or a basket of bonds or a combination of the two. Um, and somebody else is doing all the picking. Someone else is doing all the management and all the keeping their eyes on it. So, you just want to find a good manager there. Or you want to go with what's called an index fund. We talk about those a lot. A lot of those are exchange traded and that you can buy and sell them during the day just like a stock. But they are actually a whole basket Of stocks underneath and an index Fund just tracks an index so Instead of paying A manager with, uh, with, with a you know An expensive degree and A whole staff of researchers You're just they're just buying A preset list of stocks that Somebody else sets and it's a lot Cheaper and um, you Kind of expect you know since it's Very very difficult if not impossible To pick out an outperform Manager um, before he outperforms, then a lot of times that makes sense for people. You just you're kind of buying the average, but the average is what everybody is looking for. So so that's that's what an investment fund is, and that's what a a, a passive index fund is. And so,
1: do they track um, maybe the? How do they pick the funds in the index fund? I guess is what I'm asking.
2: So, so for an index fund, think about uh, every time you hear about stocks on the radio or on TV at night. They say, uh, you know, the Dow Jones, you know, returned one percent, or the S and P 500 did one and a half percent. Those that is a list of some people at the Dow Jones Company made a list of 30 stocks and they every now and then they get together and say oh hey, we should drop one we should add one uh, S&P 500 that's a list of 500 stocks of folks at the S&P Company Standard & Poor's which is owned by a textbook company um, and they set the list and so and then they just license it out they say hey if you want to have a fund that has the word S&P 500 in it then You pay us a little fee And so basically You're just paying for that That little fee for
1: them To to accumulate that basket Of stocks for you all right. Uh, about 20 seconds left. I guess, you know, bottom line advice, uh, your money's important. So mm-hmm. you always want to do research, never just jump into something.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff on this list that we didn't get to. There are so many different products and so many different, even amongst stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. There's so much different stuff. There's so much variation. Uh, and, and what you can expect out of them is very different. So understand what you're
1: getting into. Absolutely. Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of mpb think radio funded in part by generous financial support from you our listeners uh, to hear today's show or previous show one way to do that is to go to mpbonline.org money talks our show is produced by liz Gill and our call screeners java chapman so for writer taff i'm kevin farrell inviting you to stay tuned up next it's in legal terms we'll be back next tuesday at nine for another money talks it's heard only on mpb think radio